0: Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross
1: and Benjamin Kowalski.
0: Let's talk freight. Welcome back for episode 169 of the Freight 360 Podcast. If you are brand new to us, you caught a great episode. We got a special guest on today, gonna give you all kinds of tips and tricks on succeeding as a new freight broker and as you enter into your career. But we'll get to him in just a minute here. Make sure to leave a review, whether it's a, an awesome comment on YouTube or review on iTunes, Spotify, whatever. Actually, what's interesting is uh, everyone's doing their like Spotify end of year, like most listened to podcasts and Radio stations, and I'm wondering if anyone has Freight 360 pop up on their end of the year charts. Who knows? But keep sharing us with your friends, and we're going to have a, a fun one today. Uh, we've got John Shaw, but he's a broker at JTS out in Salem, Oregon. John, welcome to the show, man. We're so happy to have you on here.
2: Yeah, thanks to be thanks to be here. Looking forward to it.
0: Yeah. So the reason that we're uh, we're having you on today is, um, you actually, you know, you you've listened to our content for a little while and we thought it'd be fun to have somebody come on that has, you've been in the business for three and a half years now as a broker and you've, you've done very, very well for yourself coming from, you know, day zero, right? Everyone has to start somewhere through where you are now on your fourth year in the industry. So just tell us a little bit about what you do with your company, um, what your role is there and kind of how you got into brokerage. And we're definitely going to pick your brain during the middle of the episode here. Yeah, no, that sounds
2: great. Yeah. Uh, John Shaw from JTS and, uh, But yeah, JTS is a a non-asset-based logistics provider with offices, customers, and carriers really across the country. Uh, We specialize in LTL, truckload, rail, ocean, and air. Uh, So for me, I'm on the sales and marketing business development side. So the last three and a half years, I've been uh, in the trenches, uh, building it kind of from the ground up and uh, just getting after it. And yeah, looking forward to sharing... Uh, My my tips and tricks, what's worked out for me, what hasn't worked out for me. So you guys guys and gals can avoid that. Um, So yeah, looking forward to sharing
0: my story and and my tips. Awesome. Well, we're glad to have you. And uh, I almost forgot, this episode is brought to you by Blue Book Services. Blue Book is the resource that you'll need if you're transporting fresh produce. Their online database contains thousands of companies throughout the produce industry supply chain. You can easily search their database to generate new sales leads. Blue Book's credit rating will help you avoid companies with high credit risk, and their team can help resolve disputed loads. Learn more. Go to ProduceBlueBook.com and click Join Today. That's ProduceBlueBook.com. And we will have one more episode this month um, with Blue Book. It's going to be a good one. Um, Ben, what's new with you, man?
1: Much, man. Enjoying the beautiful weather down here. It's finally gotten really nice and spent the weekend... Going from different parks, actually. Like, literally spent the entire weekend just outside Planet Parks
0: with Ava. There you go. Actually, yeah, just time. last night, I booked my um, spring – part of my spring break travels to Florida. So, like, I like to go down and visit my parents and stuff and get away out of the Buffalo cold weather. And we're, I'm going to be down in Florida for probably half the month of April. A um, little work, a little play. But I'm going to be doing – I think I'm, I'm doing a week in, like, the Palm Beach area and then a week – off towards my folks in the Fort Pierce, uh, Port St. Lucie area. So, I'll, we'll be doing a we'll have to be doing a um, in person podcast episode in the spring, like we did earlier this year. So, oh yeah, maybe we'll do it from the golf course this year. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a, a four hour, four and a half hour long podcast yeah. episode with play by play of uh, all eighteen holes. So, um, well, let's head on sports. I'm going to start off here because. We're actually we're recording early in the week here. It's a it's a Monday, so if you're if you're watching this, um, it's going to be four days. Or if you're listening to this at the, on Friday, it's four, we, four days ago we recorded this. But as of right now, and it won't change before Friday, the Buffalo Bills are now number one in the AFC conference. So I'm pretty excited. The um, the Bengals took down the Chiefs uh, Sunday night football and or actually that was afternoon, it was like 4.30 game Eastern. But um, Joe Burrow has not lost a single game to the Chiefs. I love I love it as a Bills fan. Um, the Dolphins lost by a couple scores. The Jets lost. Um, and did any of you guys watch the Cowboys game last night by any chance? No, I didn't. They, the Cowboys put up 33 points in the fourth quarter. They won like 50, I don't know, 53 or something to wow. uh, like – yeah, it was, it was nuts. It was the second most points scored in the fourth quarter in, in NFL history, like in the 100 years plus yeah. of recorded football stats. So, yeah. And obviously the the Bills had a nice win over New England on uh, Thursday night football by 14 points. My I got my scoreboard over here. It's not updated yet, but we'll get it updated. So that's my NFL news right there. The Bills got the Jets this coming weekend followed by Miami the next weekend. So it's really good stuff for the AFC East and the AFC in general, the bills control their own destiny, but Hey, any given Sunday, any team could win. Um, I didn't watch the Steelers. How'd they do, Ben? They won. They beat Atlanta um, pretty close,
1: but uh, yeah, they pulled out the win. I wish we could have got one of the terrible losses back would be almost at 500, five and seven right now, but it's what it is. It's, Looking, looking a hell of a lot more positive than it did a few months ago, so.
0: Yeah, but. oh, for sure, for sure. So, John, uh, I asked you before we started oh, recording sure. about who your team is, and I, I know you said a lot of folks in the Northwest are Seattle fans, but you're a bigger Oregon Ducks fan, right?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, important note on the Seahawks, that was a, a great come uh, end-of-the-game drive to come back and beat the Rams, and Gino has definitely surprised us all. But uh, He surprised everybody. He surprised everyone. Uh, but yeah, no. To, to your point, yeah, big duck fan. It's uh, it's been a season full of ebbs and flows. It uh, I don't like to talk about Georgia. That was quite uh, an embarrassment at the beginning of the season. But uh, and then to lose to you know Washington and then Oregon State. It's it's been uh, pretty brutal. But we have a, a spectacular team. But yet it's been a rough season. <laughs> so
0: one of the things I thought was cool about Oregon. Well, I always think they have like cool uniforms. Right. But I didn't realize, is it the, the Under Armour? Like the guy that started Under Armour was like a Ducks. Nike, Nike. Oh, Phil it's Nike. Nike.
2: Yeah. So Phil Knight was a graduate of U of O uh, back okay. in the seventies. Uh, and he was the one um, with like Tinker Hatfield and a couple other uh, people. They created Nike and it was some uh, graphic design student that created the logo and, He paid her like $10 or something really low for that symbol, for that logo. And yeah, I mean, now it's... But
0: they have like a different uniform every week, don't they? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's pretty cool. That's good stuff. The other thing that's interesting about your area, and this is not sports related, but there's like a strangely high density of freight brokers in Oregon. And like Bend, Oregon specifically, I've talked to like a million people that are brokers out there. Is there any... Any idea, either of you, why there's so many brokers in Oregon? So we're, there has uh, to be a big company that started out there or something like that. I have no idea.
2: I'm two and a half, three hours from central Central Valley, kind of Bend, Oregon area. Um, what I can tell you is the volume, freight wise, is very low in Bend and the Redmond area, but it's such a desirable place to live. I think. Uh, coming out of covid bend actually was one of the most popular destinations kind of moving to locations uh coming out of covid and i think a lot of people started to work remote and they wanted to enjoy all the seasons have the mountains have the lakes have the rivers bend has that it's an an amazing place so that's probably why you have so
0: many so many uh, broker buddies in that area yeah (laughs) I just thought it was strange that it's like there's just a very highly dense population of you know brokers out there. Yeah. So anyway, um World Cup. The US uh lost to what Netherlands over the weekend. And yeah. uh so they're done. But I was hoping you know, you know, always room for USA, right? Mm-hmm. I guess we just don't have that good of a team right now, but that's all I got. You got anything else on sports, Ben? That's all I got. John, you got any cool sports news? Nope. I'm good to go. All right. Ben, let's give a shout out to our friends over at DAT and we'll get into it. Taking
1: the guesswork out of freight with DAT, the DAT Load Board Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners. Plus, you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a
0: free month of Power, Express, or Trucker's Edge. Absolutely. All right. So one of my favorite things to do is to to help people get better at their job as a freight broker. Hence, we have this podcast, right? Um, But I do it in my day-to-day job working at Pierce, and I help a lot of our agents with um, either stuff that they have never dealt with before, or if they just want a second opinion on something like I've, I probably helped three different people out with pricing lanes and dealing with upcoming bids in the last week. And it's, it's a lot of fun. And so obviously Ben, you and I have been putting out a bunch of educational content for years and years now. And that's why, you know, I thought it'd be awesome, John, to have you on and, and kind of hear your story and get another person's perspective on, um, you know, what has worked for you and, kind of what you've learned along the way. So this is kind of a little bit of a mix of a success story, but also we're going to pick your brain on, on, you know, what you did that worked and, and, you know, what hasn't worked. So I guess, first of all, how did you get into freight brokerage? And did you know what it was before you started? (laughs) Great question.
2: Nope. (laughs) Same here. (laughs) I I actually had uh, a couple of my buddies, high school buddies start working for JTS out of college, and. I was living at a state focusing on building a book of business with a different company. And so I didn't think much of it, but
0: what what, what like career field were you in before?
2: Uh, the fundraising fundraising okay. industry. Um, but uh, long story short, I ended up at one of their company barbecues because I was friends with a lot of the employees. So it, you know, it wasn't weird for me to just join. And we were watching a basketball game, I think, and, you know, having steaks and, um the week after that, the president of our division, Craig Johansson, invited me into his office and said, like, hey, what, you know, what, what would, and we just basically discussed what a role would look like with on, you know, on his team and kind of the rest is history. I, I jumped onto the team three and a half, it was uh, July of 2019, uh, right before, right before COVID and and uh, the rest is history. I, I did not know much about brokerage, about logistics and supply chain. I remember in college, I took, I was a, a marketing marketing major and took business classes. But I remember there was one or two lectures on logistics and supply chain, and that was it. <laughs> that yeah, was it. I did not foresee myself being in this industry, but I sure am grateful to be a part of it now. It fits my personality and my skill set really well, so. Grateful to be a part of it now.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you, you made me think about something too. I took a core, I was a business major in college as well. And I took a class, I think it was called like sourcing or strategic sourcing or something like that, where it talked all about um, supply chain and like how companies would source their materials. But a big chunk of that was on how does it get there, right? Yeah. And how, how, You know, where is it stored? But how does it get there? Because that's where transportation came in. And I, you know, I learned about like the hub and spoke model, which is big in LTL. And um, also in regional carriers. But we also talked about um, 3PL. And I never heard the word brokerage before, but I heard the term third party logistics or 3PL, which is an intermediary between multiple parties. And then I got into trucking and in the LTL world and um, into brokerage. But it's funny how, like, to this day, and we've talked about it before, like, I'll tell somebody I work in bro- freight brokers, and they're like, huh? Like, <laughs> broker? Broker sounds like, a a stock broker or like a mortgage broker, but a freight broker. So, yeah. yeah.
2: You know, I, in uh, the elementary terms, when people are like really confused, I just say, we help companies ship their goods from A to B. <laughs>
1: yep.
2: Like, that's oh, exactly okay, it. Sounds good.
1: <laughs> I had I had some family in town over the weekend. Same thing. Uh, the, the One of the husbands was like, so what do you do for a living? I was like, oh, I'm in shipping. And he's like, what? I'm like, I'm in between the companies that ship the things and the trucks that move it, basically. <laughs> I'm, yeah. like, that's, I'm like, it's the quickest way because most people – and same thing, like, I, I – I think I literally found out about it when I got recruited at like 36 years old. I had no clue, never had a class on it, nothing at all. Like, I don't even think there was anyone offered at the University of Pittsburgh when I kind of went through there. Like nothing on inventory, and that's about it. And that was because of accounting. You know, LIFO, FIFO, first come, first serve, but nothing as it relates to anything we do.
0: I remember like in accounting, you we had terms like, Freight on Border, like FOB, Origin, FOB, Destination. But we didn't really talk about it much. But supply chain in college has gotten so prevalent in the last, like, decade. I think because of how much it's evolved and the need for us to, you know, be smarter and more, I don't know, I guess, you know, if you got you to gotta kind of not recreate the wheel, but you got to make the wheel more efficient. I think that's why logistics and supply chain has become more prevalent. There's even, like, freight brokerage classes taught through... Like higher ed colleges and stuff now, so which I think is an extremely expensive and overpaid way to to learn about freight brokerage. But I'm curious. So, John, back to you. When you get so you get started at JTS, um, how did you know? How did the getting started part work for you did Did you go through like on the job training? Was there uh like here's your your I don't know like your you were hired as a, in a class of people? What did it look like to get started, and how did you start to learn the business?
2: Yeah, I I they brought me on, and I basically spent the first couple of weeks uh, shadowing different account managers, uh, operational managers here in, within our division. Uh, I also spent some time with other sales reps. Um, most our corporate office is in Fresno, but spent some time in Fresno. Spent some time in uh, the Sacramento area uh, with Joe Kelly, one of our most experienced and successful reps, and it was a lot of just shadowing them and taking a lot of notes and asking a lot of questions and it, it is you know one of my tips that I'll review later but that it was it wasn't a trial by fire but it was uh hey like, you're started let's go let figure it out and uh, and yeah now now I'm here and
0: constantly trying to learn and be the best that, that I can be yeah I think that's one of the things that we we tell people a lot is especially the ones that they're like I'm just gonna go out I'm gonna start my own brokerage and I always I always recommend, like, why don't you go, if you know someone that's doing it, like, pick their brain, shadow them for a day, take them out to lunch or coffee, whatever, right? Take them, go golfing or have beers, whatever you got to do, because you might find out that you don't actually like this industry, and some people don't, and they don't last very long, but um, we'll hit on it later, but I, that's definitely a big a big pointer that I have is to, that you can learn a lot by shadowing somebody. Um, okay, so then, you know, you, you get into it, and then did you start off? Once you're kind of trained up and you you are assimilated into the into the company, did you start hitting the phones? Did they put you in an operations role? What did that look like between getting trained up and then you're on the phones?
2: Yeah, it was it was trying to learn kind of from everybody's perspective what they do, how they function, uh, learning the lingo because we you know I didn't like I said earlier I didn't know. LTL, you know, the list of carriers. I, I didn't know what a lot of these things meant. And so it was me taking notes, sitting behind their computer and just asking a lot of questions. But once I, after a couple of weeks, as I started to feel more comfortable, I then had, they, they provided a list uh, of leads of, from some locations that I could call on. And it was slowly but surely, I started just working my way down the list. And, uh, over time, continuing to fine
1: tune that. and Can you give um, us some specifics on that, John? Like when you say work through the list, right? I know it was a little bit ago time-wise, but if you could give us approximates of what you remember, like maybe your daily activity or how many days a week or how much time you spent, you know, literally dialing the phone, you know, prospecting. Yeah, well, for
2: me, the, the lists that I received at the beginning were pretty bare. It was the the company name, the city and the state, uh, and then maybe their commodity. Uh, And so a lot of my time at the beginning was building that out. uh, And so I could feel confident, feel comfortable making those calls, having my approach uh, into, you know, how to get onboarded as, as a logistics provider for them. So, yeah, the first couple of weeks, it was heavy on building that portfolio, building the details, building my CRM. Uh, And then once I got to a point, I just then had that list for the day, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 calls a day. You know, at the beginning, nobody knows you and you don't have a lot of people reaching out to you. So you have more time. And so it's you really got to go out on a limb and start pounding the phone and getting after it. And what a big thing that helped me at the beginning was hitting the road. Uh, it's really an underrated sales tactic. It's so easy for our prospects to hide behind their phone and computers, whereas I would just walk into the warehouse. Obviously, I would respect the, you know the COVID policy, their security policy, but I just would walk into their warehouse and ask for their shipping manager. And so much more was accomplished when you're there face-to-face. Seeing their facility, seeing their freight, being able to ask a lot of questions, what you can accomplish in a face to face visit, face to face conversation takes months, if not years, to accomplish over the phone or over email. So, and sometimes
1: you'll never get there. And sometimes, and you you'll never. yeah, you don't visit in person. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And it's like. I mean, you think as human beings, right? Like that's how we determine whether or not somebody shares our values, right? Like that's small talk and that thing that everybody goes, oh, are you bullshitting about sports and talking about the weather? But like, that's how we know as human beings, whether or not the person we're talking to shares the values, right? And when you think about it, when you're in person, I think it's like, I mean, it depends on what study, but it's like 80 or 90% of communication is nonverbal, right? Your body language, how you carry yourself, your tone of voice, the way you're smiling, the way you're looking, the way you're interacting, and it's just like, That speeds that up so much faster. Let me ask you this. When you kind of went out to do some of these in-persons, did you like kind of like map out your day? Like, hey, I'm going to go hit the road whatever day of the week and pick a couple shippers that were kind of local to each other so you could hit more than one. What was your approach?
2: Yeah, no, I definitely kept it regionalized and kind of created a loop, uh, created a map so I wasn't just going all over the place. Uh, I was being strategic with my time and the mileage. But my goal at the beginning was to, you know, build, build my database, start calling on them, get my name kind of in the running. Uh, And then as I, as people got a little bit more comfortable with me or, or if they didn't know me, I would then reach out, try to set that physical meeting by dropping off donuts, dropping off muffins. And then once I had that physical meeting set, it, whether it was you know a couple of days in advance, a couple of weeks in advance, I would then spend the rest you know not the whole time, but that meeting was in Eugene. I would then try and set other meetings in Eugene. If I didn't, I then look for other local businesses, local shippers in the Eugene area next to that one meeting. So then I'm taking the full advantage of my time, uh, and then I can. It's a lot easier and more comfortable when you walk in and say, "Oh." I was just visiting ABC and I was in the area. I wanted to just walk over and see how things were going over here. And so I was, yeah, very strategic about, you know, time is so essential, (laughs) you know, in our role uh, as freight jockeys. And so that was one thing that helped me uh, keep my schedule intact and kind of utilize my time most efficiently.
0: Yeah, I think so. I want to go back to your how you you were given a list of, you know, company name, city state. Um, there are, you know, if you're, if you work at a small company or you're starting your own brokerage, you don't even have that, but then you get the people on the other end of the spectrum where they go and they've got a massive database where they they're given like contact name, phone number. They've got notes from a previous rep and all that, but you started with basically nothing is kind of where I put you on that spectrum. And you had to spend a lot of time taking, um, all the holes in that, database and filling them in. Right. All right. So I know that here's the name of the company where they're located and maybe what they ship, but I got to find out a phone number. I got to figure out when they're open. I got, I got to figure out, are they full truckload or LTL? I got to figure out who the traffic department is led by and all kinds of stuff like that. And that's why Ben, you and I always preach that you want to focus that time as one task, right? We're not figuring that all out and then making a phone call, figure out the next one, make a phone call. You spent how much time John would you sp- say you spent like days or weeks before you started calling trying to plug that information in what did that oh, look like weeks okay weeks.
2: Yep. And a big thing for a big thing for beginners is momentum when you start creating your list of prospects you have this momentum of trying to figure out the contact information and that was before we had zoom info so it was a lot more difficult. <laughs> you're, you're searching company websites and looking for contact info, and calling their general number. It, it was a lot more difficult pre Zoom info. Um, but you, you just create this momentum of prospecting, 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 and then you can shift gears into now I'm in the I've got this momentum of making calls, having conversations, handling pushback. All you know, and you just kind of work with that
1: momentum. And you get momentum, right? Like in multiple areas, right? It's an either or task. You know, Nate was just talking about it. It's like, if you're doing research right, guess what you get better at when you're doing that over and over? getting better at researching, where to find things, where's the quickest place, what does work, what doesn't work, and you're getting better and you're getting momentum in that task, right? And just like you said on the other one, when you're just dialing, you're literally getting that momentum and you're getting used to it, what you said either worked or didn't work, you can adjust it a little bit and you're just moving forward, right? when you mix them together right in my head i always just picture like literal prospecting like 1850s gold mine it'd be like hey there's gold up in nevada well where well, i don't know okay well dig down 3 inches go walk over there look at a map walk over there dig 3 inches go walk talk to this guy and it's like you would never get momentum in anything right you need to know the lay of the land get your arms
0: around it get better at it and then you switch between the tasks what well, would you say your how big was your list of prospects before you started making phone calls?
2: Uh, well, I, when it started, it was probably about 150. Uh, but once I was in that 40 to 50 range of the details were plugged in, uh, as far as I knew who I was calling, what I was calling and what questions I was going to ask. Uh, once I got to that 40, 50 mark, that's when I started to set aside call and kind of outreach time. Uh, and kind of trying to set those physical meetings and going from there.
0: Yeah, I mean that's pretty pretty in line with what we've seen work and what we preach here. So uh, having like you know people are like, oh, I got a dozen customers in my company or in my uh, neighborhood. I'm just going to go swing by. Or I'm going to call them. It's like, all right, and then what? <laughs> you know what I mean? So you got to have a, you got to have a big pot of leads to put in your funnel before you can start that activity. But then you make a great point, John. Then what you've got to do is you've got to have intentionality behind how your day is scheduled, right? There's going to always be the activity of I'm making X amount of phone calls today, but I've got to also spend other time filling up that, uh, that sales funnel again with additional new leads. And people are like, well, I'm going to spend all this time finding new companies. But think about it this way, right? A lot of your calls are follow-up calls. So it's not a brand new lead. You don't need 150 or 200 new leads Companies to call on. A lot of those are, hey, I, you know, I left a voicemail last week, or they gave me an objection last month, or the guy was busy and told me to call him back tomorrow. Right? You have a lot of follow ups where it's easy. Right? I already have the information. I've got my notes from my last call. So um, that's good stuff. So in the, you know, one of the biggest hurdles that we see folks have is in that prospect, you know, in that cold calling phase, right? Um, they don't know what to say on the phone. They feel like they're stupid. They get a lot of objections. What are some of the the hurdles that you ran into once you started hopping on the phone, making those dials? It, one thing that really,
2: I was a challenge for me at the beginning was my prospecting was so vague. I, I was given that list, but they were all over different commodities, different regions. Um, I, it was it was way too vague and it was not focused. And I think my, a big pointer, one of my kind of tips uh, for success is kind of know who you're talking to, know where they're located, know what their commodities are, know how you're going to contact them, know when you're going to follow up with them. How, you need to have multiple reasons why you should pursue this person or this company before contacting them. And I think that was one thing that I learned over time was just because there's this list doesn't mean it's ideal. Uh, you know, it's important to have kind of a fine tuned focus on who to prospect, how to prospect them. Do I have an inside track? You know, a connection on LinkedIn, a referral, you know, whatever it may be. Um, so yeah, just a continued focus on who you're targeting is so important, especially at the beginning and as you. Progress At the beginning, you're just kind of wide eyed and bushy tail looking for anybody to give you freight. But as time goes on, you become more targeted, more focused on specific commodities, specific regions, specific modes. Uh, and so that's one thing that I've had to learn over time of uh, trying to fine tune my, my prospects and who I target.
1: Can you tell us a little more about that? What are some examples that you could maybe share, even if it was, you know, customers you've had that are maybe, maybe no longer working with you or even just vague details of how you went from, you know, spray and pray at everything to a more <laughs> focused pattern? Yeah. 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 A lot of it came down to region uh, and mode of transportation.
2: With JTS, we offer a handful of modes of transportation, but I am specifically out of the LTL division. And so over time, I've learned that if I can focus on just LTL in specific regions that I want uh, and, and regions that I want to go visit,
1: that's kind of led to a lot of my success. Give us some more on that. I don't want to interrupt you, but I want you give us an example of where and when you've said this is a region I want to go at. What were some of the things that lit up for you and said, this is this is where I'm going to call?
2: Yeah. So uh, Eugene, I mean, with Salem itself is not a a freight, a major freight hub. (laughs) There's not a lot of freight in this Willamette Valley area, kind of where I'm close to. But as I travel north to Portland, I travel south to Eugene. Uh, Those were I started to get one or two customers say, you know, for example, in the Eugene area, Mm -hmm. I then worked you know built that relationship as much as i could uh started to ask for their connections and then started to knock on the other doors around them uh, and so a lot of it came down to the eugene area or the portland area and specifically asking about their ltl business and getting onboarded as an ltl provider and then i mean they could say oh you know our ltl is set but do you do truckload yep do you do rail and remote yep you know, do you handle containers? Yep, but it was that focus on fine tuning the regions where I wanted to spend my physical time. Uh, that's kind of what helped me be successful uh, in in building my book of business. Is these so let me let
0: me ask you this: Were you a uh, a script guy? Did you ever read up a script? No, um, I, I'm not a big script guy. It it comes
2: fairly natural for me to converse with people over the phone or in person. Uh, what helped me in my development and another kind of tip and pointer from, from my perspective is you have to be, you have to continue your education. <laughs> um, you have to be, you have to continue to work at being the expert uh, and through, you know, so over time I've been able to, you know, ask a lot of questions, refer to those notes and, glance at those scripts and kind of what I built, but it's not something that's printed out that I refer to. It's more of a guidance that I can tap into when needed. Um, But yeah, it it, thankfully, I'm grateful that it, it comes naturally as far as having conversations with people and Handling pushback and all that. Yeah, I
0: mean it's it's very clear that you're a you're a very easy person to have a conversation with, and I think when you remove the the script per se from the equation, it forces you to be who you are. It forces your personality to come into play instead of sounding like a robot. Um, I'm curious. So I think back to my LTL days when like going to visit a customer in person and stuff like that. What? You know, LTL for people that aren't too big on it, it's a lot of, it's very price driven, right? They, they want to know like, wh- you know, what kind of a discount rate can I get? And, um, you know, it, it just seems to be very, very price driven because a lot of, a lot of these regional or national LTL carriers will offer the same, they can ha- handle picking up the same location, delivering to the same location, same amount of pallets and the same number of transit days. So you've got to find a way to differentiate yourself. And I worked for, it was Conway Freight at the time before XPO uh, bought them out. But our our goal was to never be the cheapest carrier because LTL, when you think cheap, a lot of people think, well, you're going to have more Dan, I'm going to have forklift tines shoved through this 55 gallon drum. And there's going to be, you know, some kind of chemical over the dock, right? Or they're going to have like, it's going to get lost and it's going to end up an OS&D claim. Um, So what did you do to differentiate yourself when selling on the LTL side specifically, or even if you did anything outside of LTL, but what did you try to do to be differentiator? You already hit on like, I'm going to be an expert, right? I'm going to be smarter than everybody else, which is I think huge. But is there anything else that you did um, just to kind of be one level up above everybody else?
2: Yeah, I think a big thing for me was this mindset of of confidence, of being patient, being persistent, and having a focus on incremental growth. Um, yeah, for me, it was, you know, going back to this mindset of being confident when you know, you're there to help people to make their life easier to make them look good to make their customers happy. When you know and trust in yourself and you trust in your team, that they can do that, they can accomplish that. It creates this confidence, this aura of confidence. And so when you're on the phone, you have that energy. You can answer those questions quickly. When you're in person, you you can read that body language. So confidence was a, a big one for me because I have this mindset of I am helping people. I am making their life easier. I am doing X, Y, and Z. And and for me, I mean, there's so many LTL carriers and there's so many LTL brokers. <laughs> so it, it really is, there's a lot of fishermen in this pond, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and so that's where I'm grateful to be a part of the team that I am on. Uh, with JTS, we've been around since the 70s. Uh, JTS is really one of the pioneers in the 3PL industry. And so I've been able to rely on that credibility uh, that trust, that reputation, as far as my, my team goes. So I'm, I'm very grateful for my team. Uh, but yeah, no, having dedicated account managers, one person, one point of contact, people that will answer your calls, reply to your emails in a quick and timely manner. You, you have to do the little things correctly. Um, and once you get that opportunity, you have to seize it and take every advantage of it. Because there is so much competition that when somebody gives you an
0: opportunity, you better make the most of it. You I got one thing I want to make better yeah. before you yeah go before you hop in here. You brought up confidence. And I think that's huge. Uh, you can like smell it and taste it when somebody's just not confident, right? when they're just uh, you know they have they have no they have so much doubt in their self that you're why are you gonna trust them, right? And like I always somebody once told me like You know, think about James Bond. Like the dude's always confident, no matter how much you know how many bad situations he's in. You know, the dude always is cool, calm, collected. He believes that he can get the get the mission done. And I always thought the same thing. I was a big like Fast and Furious fan. I love Paul Walker and all those movies. I'm like, man, he's so smooth like the entire time. RIP, died like nine years ago. But um, like you know, it's just having that confidence and belief in yourself. It like. Other people can feel and sense that, and it makes you a likable person. Um, Ben, what were you going to say?
1: I was going to tie into the exact same point, and I was going to talk just a minute on like something I picked up from John, but it's also like a hack or like a shortcut to this. Right? If you're nervous and you feel like like you're worried and you're on the opposite end of the the confidence spectrum, right? The exact opposite: self doubt, worry, and anxious it's almost always because you're focused on what you need in yourself. And if you just focus on the other people service, helping others, you're not anxious, you're not worried, you're not any of those things because it's not about you anymore, right? None of those emotions exist when you're serving other people, right? And it sounds kind of like cheesy, but the reality is is like that is how our brains work. You can gain confidence just by sitting and literally focusing on the person you're speaking to and what you can do to help them. Not, hey, I needed a couple more loads today. Uh, where's my revenue? I need to get my numbers up. My boss is yelling at me. That's all us focused. And then when you get on the phone, they're shittier calls too, because they can feel that. They can tell you're calling them because of something you want not to help them. And that is just a fast way to kind of, I think, get to kind of that dynamic a little bit quicker.
0: I'll add to that too. The, um, and Ben, you talk about this a lot as the you know, you don't necessarily know if you're going to be uh, an ideal fit to work with them. Right. And I've had I have this happen often in like um, like face to like referral, like face to face conversations where I'll be at like a fa- I was at a uh, Bills game and literally we we're in like the in, like getting into concessionary, getting like beer and food in, in like the halftime and somebody we we're talking about work and they're like, Oh, you work in logistics and like, Hey, come over here. Like you got to talk to this guy. So like, they, you know, and they're like asking like what I do and if we service this, and that and I took it with the mindset of like, Oh, I don't need not, I don't know if we're the solution for the problem that you guys have, but let's have a conversation. when, when you can kind of shift it to like, I'm not desperate, I don't need anybody's business, but Hey, let's have a conversation. It takes so much pressure off of, it takes all the weight off your shoulder. So that's huge. There, um, we, we got. I want to get into some other tips and tricks that you got because we're we're getting kind of towards the later end here. But if you know, we talked a lot about focusing on your um, your prospecting time and then your time spent on the phone and targeting in on maybe a region or a commodity or things like that organizationally, uh, and then having confidence. What are some other tips that you would give to somebody that's newer in the brokerage? Right, they're trying to get their book of business built up, but not turning commissions over yet. What are what is what is the you know? The John tips and tricks or life hacks that you would give out for yeah. you knowledge here. I, I think it's important that you have a short-term
2: and a long-term memory. And, and by that, with a short-term memory, especially at the beginning, you, you can't, you, I mean, you're going to get frustrated. You're going to get upset. You're going to be tired. You're going to get yelled at. You're going to get told no. It, it's important to have that short memory and to be able to flush it and just move on and to just stay persistent, stay patient, stay focused on that incremental growth. Uh, So yeah, that's the kind of the short-term aspect of it. And then as far as the long-term aspect for for new people in this industry, it it takes a bit to get used to the language, the lingo, and to, to sound like an expert. And so it kind of refers back to our previous comments about shadowing your your team, shadowing the the most successful sales rep in your organization, asking a ton of questions. I share a wall with my mentor and supervisor, Mike Bell. When we first started, I would ask him a dozen questions every day because I I wanted to know. I I wanted to be the expert, but that goes into the the long-term memory of it, of be the expert, continue your education, ask a lot of questions, take a lot of notes and have those notes to, in a place where you can easily refer to them so you're not having to ask the repeat questions and bog other people down. You have to continue to kind of fine-tune your, your personal development.
0: So that was,
2: yeah, one thing I wanted to bring up was the- And
0: I'll add to that too. I always, whenever I would learn something new, I would always ask, why? Like, why is that the case? So if someone would say like, um, you know, oh, L, you know, LTL can be really complicated. Why? Oh well, because there's reways and there's reclasses and accessorial charges, and you know, unless, but it's, but if you don't understand the context as to why something is the way that it is, you're not going to really comprehend. And it's not going to really make a whole lot of sense to you. So, ask why. I um, had a keep going though. Ben, what do you got? No, I keep going. You got a couple more. You want to share, John?
2: Um, oh. yeah, just keep and along the lines of the confidence side, but keeping a positive attitude. Uh, And creating a productive work environment, whether you're at the house or at the office, I highly recommend getting a standing desk. Uh, For me, it it creates some natural energy when you're on the phone. It it helps you kind of get through the day. It's a lot healthier for you as well. Um, But, yeah, having that positive attitude, creating a positive, you know, a, a dedicated, focused work environment. If you're at home. You know, tell the spouse and kids that, hey, this is, this is my dedicated time. Um, I, am all for a work life balance. And so being able to focus and, and get things busted out in a timely manner then just creates that freedom and flexibility later in the evening or, you know, you, so you're not working on the weekends and, and spending 10, 12 hours working. Um, and I think that's another important thing for new sales reps, new freight jockeys is, you can't there's not a lot of people that will be successful, that will have a high energy, that will be confident, that will make dozens and dozens of calls for from eight to eight for five days a week. So have that balance, create what works for you, focus on your strengths uh, and figure out your weaknesses so you can create that momentum, ride that momentum stay focused and, and keep that focus on kind of incremental growth and uh, kind of continuing to get after it. But moral of the story is, yeah, don't burn yourself out. It's pretty easy to do it in this industry, uh, but create that steady, steady growth is kind of what, what I'm trying to get to say. <laughs> no, that's awesome. So how did you find Freight360 out of curiosity? It, it was a part of me trying to develop on my own. Uh, JTS had some training manuals and some things that I just looked at the web on our own website, trying to learn about the company. But back when I first started, there wasn't a ton of resources for freight sales specifically. Uh, And that's, that's how I came across freight 360. And that that's a great transition into my another point is freight 360 and shameless, unbiased opinion you guys, this is the best resource in my opinion. <laughs> uh, you guys are experts in, you know, freight and the sales side of things. Uh, that's why I've been an avid listeners since day one. <laughs> there is other resources out there as well. You do, you got Dennis Brown uh, with his freight broker bootcamp and different free trainings on, you know, podcasts, YouTube, uh, but put that coffee down uh, with Kevin and freight waves was another great resource. But A lot of these providers, including yourself, give out a lot of this material for free. (laughs) It's a huge, huge asset that it's sitting there in front of us for us to soak in and to be a sponge and compliments to you guys. Thank you to you guys for sacrificing your time and and giving us this free, you know, I know you guys have your paid, you know, training courses and uh, kind of private program, but I'm very grateful for the free resources that you guys can provide. And that's what I recommend for other providers, other freight jockeys is to tap into those resources um, and continue that. I want
1: to add too, and I wanted to point out something that you have too, that is going to be useful for everyone out there is just being curious, right? Just be curious, be interested and just go a little farther, right? It's going to benefit you in everything you do, whether it's this, whether it's a hobby, whether it's any, any endeavor you're going to go out on, right? The more curious and hungry you are to ask the question, just like Nate's point now, right? I always think of it's like, be like a toddler, right? Why dad? Why, dad? Why, dad? Why, dad? And if you can ask that question all the way until you run out of road, you're going to have an exponentially bigger base to go take to the next thing,
0: right? And it's just going to help you in everything that you do. So what's funny is like, talk about... Um... Freight Waves, Dennis Brown. So while I I originally – how Freight 360 became a podcast started way before I started recording on a microphone. So go back like six, seven years. I was a a few years into brokerage, and I had another handful of years of um, LTL under my belt at that point. But I I was always like, I want to learn more. I want to learn more. And I used to always go to Wikipedia if I ever wanted to learn something. And there's not a whole lot on Wikipedia when it comes to freight broker. It's like very, very bare. And I was like, maybe I'll update the Wikipedia page and I'll just make this cool. Then I was like, no. I was like... "Um, I'm to start writing blogs and articles on LinkedIn. And I started doing that. So like I'd learn, I'd do some research and I'd post something and I'd share it around. And I do that to network on LinkedIn. I wanted to add value to my network. And I started getting like, I really enjoyed learning new stuff and sharing it and, and kind of educating other folks. And then one day, um, this is when I, we started as like midnight freight broker when I worked oh, yeah. at another company. Yeah. And me and a guy just got, we got a microphone off of Amazon and just like recorded. And it was very short lived, but then me and Ben got together and were like, hey, let's, let's take this a step further. We never wanted to replace Freight Waves. Like we've had Kevin Hill on um, multiple times. We've been on his show. He's going to be joining us again, I think, um, next month. Um, and like we never want to replace any of the people out there adding content. We just wanted, we wanted to add as much value as we can out there and give people multiple perspectives because. What I think that's what one of the things that Ben, and I, Ben, you and I both love is that we have two separate perspectives that overlap on a lot, but we, we come from different um, scenarios and types of companies and roles that we can give two different angles. Like I learn from Ben all the time, uh, John. I've learned from you a little bit, kind of hearing your story and everything. That's why I love to talk about this stuff with people. It's a passion in my life, and I love to to share it as as much as people continue to listen to us. And no one's told us to shut up yet, Ben. So we're gonna keep doing it. Exactly. There, and that just reminded me of the like, kind of the second thing with curiosity,
1: right? Is they say, if you want to get better at anything, learn something new and then teach it to somebody else, right? Because the best way you can drive that home and get better at it is literally conveying whatever you interpreted to another person, right? So whether it's a colleague, you know, somebody that's a subordinate or anybody, right? You know, in this case, it's one of the reasons why I like doing this, Nate, is we get to go read and find everything interesting thing we can. And then we get to go talk about it and teach other people. It just
0: helps yep. us, you know, improve and stay Absolutely. curious. Good stuff. Um, you got any any last tips here before we get into our Q&A, John?
2: No, I think kind of in closing, uh, just be patient. It takes time. Um, be persistent. It's really hard. <laughs> um, but you have to, to create that uh, steady steady growth. And then that was kind of my third and final point is, maintain a focus on incremental growth and know kind of what your wins are. I think this will be kind of my final comment, but that was another one of my challenges. When I first started, I didn't really know what a win was. You know, I, I thought, oh, when would I get a customer and I get a couple of loads? Like that's, that's a win. When you first start, when you received an out of office reply from somebody that's a win for a new sales sales rep. You know, with that out-of-office reply, you know that their email works. You, they might provide additional contact info. You know when they'll be back at the office. You know they might include other some of their colleagues that you can also reach mm-hmm. out to. Just receiving that out-of-office reply, that's a win. And you, you have to be able to have the tough skin, to wear the nose, uh, and to... Basically, yeah, continue that incremental growth and and focus on doing the small things right. And
0: months and years down the road, it'll work out for you. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, that's great advice, man. I appreciate that. All right, we've got some questions here from the listeners. Uh, But first, a shout out to our friends over at Lean. Lean Solutions Group is the industry leader in nearshore staffing solutions with offices in South America, including freight broker back office operations, accounting, tech development, business development, marketing, customer service, and many other positions. To learn more about the vast solutions that Lean has to offer your freight brokerage or agency, visit them at www.leangroup.com. So if you're growing your agency, you're growing your brokerage, looking to hire more people, uh, the the folks at Lean are great when it comes to operational support, billing support, whatever, whatever those roles are that are taking time away from you growing the business, that's what they're great for. So check them out. All right. Our first listener question. What are the requirements and commission terms for independent broker agents? Um, so we've talked about this a little bit before. To be an agent, there's really not a whole lot of requirements.
1: Um, maybe one. Like mo- I mean, a lot of agents will agencies will want you to have a book of business. Is like the only yes. requirement I think is kind of out there. It's experience no, maybe.
0: Yeah. There's but- no like legal. You don't need like a certificate or a license or anything like that. But yes. Yeah. The the six like Ben, your company and my company, so B two B and uh, Pierce, um, you know, typically not going to take someone that knows nothing about brokerage and, and set them up as an agent. Um, so you will find that with a lot of the bigger companies out there, is that they're going to want you to be experienced and have a book of business. But there's not like a you don't have to be licensed by the FMCSA, you don't have to be insured uh, in most cases, um, and then commission. It depends on. Who's doing what? I mean, I'll tell you industry standard, you'll find a lot of companies will pay like 60 70% commission if you're doing everything cradle to grave and you're bringing a book of business with you, excuse me. Um, but if you're brand new and someone's going to train you and put you as a, as a 1099 independent contractor as an agent for their company, don't expect to be paid a big commission because they're, they're doing a lot of, uh, spending a lot of time doing a lot of work training you and helping you out to grow that business that they're going to probably pay you, you know, I've seen 30, 40% when it comes to that. Um, maybe they're doing, maybe they're covering freight for you. Maybe they're, um, you know, I don't know. It all depends, but you know, there is no legal requirement and there's no legal commission. It's just, it depends on the situation. And Those are kind of the, the averages. Uh, ben, you, you know, you're familiar with the agent side too. Um, what would you, so do you have any recommendation for someone who's curious about getting, becoming an agent, which you, how, how you recommend they get started? I mean, they the got one no experience, is, but hey, they want to be know, an agent and home someday.
1: It's this thing we were talking about earlier is you should reach out to anybody you can find that, you know, first, if you don't know anybody. I mean, there's plenty of people you could probably reach out to on LinkedIn and just say, hey, you know, saw you on LinkedIn. Looks like, you, you know, you're really involved or you've been, you know, flattery. Flattery will get you everywhere, right? Flatter somebody on LinkedIn and just ask, Hey, would you be willing to jump on a call? I'm really interested in the industry. It looks like you've been in it a while. Somebody will respond. Somebody will give you, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour, maybe even an hour, give you some insight. And then the other thing is you can also interview at companies. Even if you want to be ultimately an agent, go look at some of the brokerages around you. Go to the interview. You will learn a ton about how that company operates, what they're going to offer you, what kind of training, what kind of comp package. And do that a few times. And I mean, you're going to learn exponentially more just by, again, being curious than you are sitting and just trying to find this somewhere on a
0: Reddit. Yep. Agreed. All right. Next question. Has there been a change in freight rates? Yeah. I mean, they change every hour, but um, we have seen rates go down nationwide, I would say over the last 10 months or so. Um, But let's, I mean, we've, Talked this before, but let's reiterate why that is. So, as the demand for trucks goes down, you have a higher available supply of those trucks. Which you know, if you remember back to college or high school or whatever, uh, economics that supply demand curve. When demand <clears throat> demand is low, uh, you're going to have prices come down. So obviously, there's been less uh, consumer activity and less shipping and the supply chain kinks have kind of been worked out for the most part. Um, It's resulted in shippers knowing that they can pay less to get that same truck versus paying two to three times in, you know, historical market averages in the height of COVID. So um, curious, John, have you seen uh, on the LTL side, have you seen a lot of change? Because we haven't really talked about LTL when it comes to pricing, but have you seen a lot of change in rates over the last year or so?
2: Yeah we've, we've seen even in the last couple of months, we've seen carriers, like you said, get a little bit hungrier <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and kind of sharpen their pencil. And uh, with the volumes going, you know, going up and down, uh, we've looked for opportunities to, to fine-tune our margins as well. Uh, but yeah, overall, thankfully we have a really balanced book of in our carrier network of both regional and national carriers. And so our pricing and carrier relations department is, is constantly working with those, those guys and gals and those teams to, to obviously negotiate the best pricing possible. But um, overall we've, yeah, I've seen, seen rates come down. Um, yeah. And just with, with fuel and uh, there's some variable things that are going up and down, but um, overall, yeah, it's
0: yeah very volatile. <laughs> For sure. Definitely. And Hey, like Ben, we've said it before, like this is, it's going to change again, right? That's the one thing yes. you can you can rely on for sure. sure is that the market will continue to cycle and change. Yep. Um, all right. Last question. This came from a carrier, which I like. Um, he yeah. asked, "Why are brokers asking that I have an inspection history?" So he's a newer carrier, and he doesn't have any inspections under his belt. He's just a single truck owner operator and he wants to know like brokers are telling him no like hey we want you to have an inspection and he wants to know why that is. So we talked a lot about uh, we talked a lot about the illegal brokering or double brokering activities that have been running rampant this year. And one of the big red flags that we look at as brokers in the full truckload world is if I'm going to use a brand new carrier that I don't know anything about, I'm going to have to look them up online and see what the FMCSA is telling me, right? Do they have an authority? Do they have insurance? What are their safety scores? What have their inspections looked like? And if you have no data on their inspections, right, first of all, you don't know if they're a safe carrier or not. But if they show one truck and no inspections and they've been around for three years, you know, what does that tell you? Well, they're not they're driving. Very, yeah, they're not driving. A very, they're, not very driving. Road road. they're not driving that truck and hauling all these loads the last three years. They're, they're likely double brokering or doing something wrong. So that is why. Um, so... You know, there's all different kinds of inspections and, you know, they're not all predictable, right? You can have roadside inspection or get pulled over for speeding and that's going to be an inspection for sure. Those aren't the ones you want to necessarily have. Um, but that is precisely why. So the more you drive when you're newer, that's that's going to um, result in you probably having some more inspections. So uh, what can you do if you don't have any inspections? Well, you're going to have to do a little bit of of selling of yourself as a as an owner operator. Maybe get some referrals that you used to drive for another company. Maybe you can get some kind of reference from them. Um, not every brokerage has the same requirements when it comes to new carriers, so just keep looking around there. It's the same way with new brokers, right? If you don't have any credit history, an established carrier doesn't want to work with you. So, just uh, it's a hurdle you've got to overcome. Ben, you got any other thoughts on that one? No, I do have a question. Do you know if you can actually
1: schedule? one like is there any way to intentionally get an inspection
0: not that i'm aware of i I mean you but i didn't I feel like uh okay well don't drive past the side of the highway sign that says all carriers must pull aside pull aside and get you know whatever so yeah i mean i don't know of one where you can say hey i want you to come inspect me um, the, the majority of inspections that I see on carriers are when they did something wrong. Like they got pulled over for a tail light out and they, dri- yeah. the, carri- or the state police does a walk around, right. And it'll tell you if it was a driver violation or a walk around, uh, vehicle, um, violation or whatever. Like you'll see like speeding 15 to 19 miles an hour over the post to speed. Like you'll see what it was and you'll know. They got inspected because they got pulled over. But the majority of the, the the standard inspections with no violations are where they hit an inspection point along the highway or they hit mm-hmm. a pull over here and whatever. So, yeah. It's an interesting idea, though. I don't know. I, I doubt it, though. I don't think that we just have the DOT piles not have a, a abundant resource that they're just going to go out and inspect <laughs> everyone that wants it. But who knows? Yeah. Man. So. And it's not some carriers are actively looking for, right? Like, hey, no, they're not. To there, again, like, yeah, sure then you get the expected. you get the trooper that's like, I'm going to find something, right? It's like that whole thing. Like, if you want to find, um, you know, you want to a crime, f- give me a person, and I'll find what they did wrong, right, or whatever it is. Like, you, I, I've heard many of police officers tell stories of like, you know, they pull somebody over, and then they find ten other things that you know went wrong that they didn't originally intend. So someone got pulled, pulled over with a tail light out. You find out they're drinking and driving. or They got a, you know, three kilos of Coke that they're smuggling for the cartel. (laughs) You know, I'm making this stuff up, but you you probably don't want it. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask New York state to do a multi-point state inspection on my car in the middle of the year when it's not required, because who knows, maybe, maybe my tread's too thin on my wheels or I don't know. Like, I'm not going to ask to someone to ding me for something wrong if you know if I don't need to, but whatever. I digress. All right, well, good episode, John. Thanks for coming on and joining us. Um, it's awesome to hear a success story from someone who's who's followed our content and um, congratulations on the success so far. I think you're going to have a great career ahead of you. Um, you got any any last minute thoughts, John? Anything anything you want to say before uh, before we call it a call it a day here? Uh, no, I
2: mean, Benjamin, Nate, thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for letting me share my my story and appreciate
0: you guys a lot and uh, looking forward to future future episodes. Awesome. And any of you shippers out there, John Schaub over at JTS, check him out. <laughs> He's really good at LTO. Uh, good stuff. No, we appreciate having you on, man. It's our pleasure for sure. We love doing stuff like this. Yes, that. thanks, guys. Thanks. Ben, what do you got? Whether you believe you can
1: or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills.
0: That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily
1: and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the contact us form on our site and we'll see you next week.